Welcome to Grace to All. I'm your host, Paul Gray. You've probably used the word grace, sang Amazing Grace, or said grace at a meal. But did you know that God's grace is way better than we can even imagine, and that you and all people already have an abundant supply of God's unlimited amazing grace? Today, we're going to hear the truth about God's amazing grace to all people. So, sit back, relax, and prepare to be inspired and awakened to the amazing treasures that you already possess. This is truth that you can handle. Hello again, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Grace to All with Paul Gray. I want to ask you a question today, and this is a question I've had to ask myself over and over again over the last few years. What if we've been totally wrong about the major focus of most religion? I call God the Father Papa, because that's what Jesus called him, and I just like doing that. And we talk all the time. Earlier this week, Papa asked me a stream of questions, not not an audible voice, but an ongoing dialogue in my head and got me to thinking, you know, in business where my background is and in counseling, which I've done some of, we know that the answer to a question in a person we're trying to help is always several questions deep. Some people call that the five whys or root cause analysis. You may be familiar with those. I'll give you an example. Let's say that there's a a company that has maybe 100 people, and the company has a manager, and then the company has an owner who's somewhat involved in the business. And the manager goes to the owner one day and says, boss, I'm afraid we're going to have to fire Bill. And the owner says, why? Bill's a good guy. He's been here a long time. Doesn't he, doesn't he do a good job? Manager says, well, yes, he does a good job, but he's always late. And the owner says, well, why is he always late? And the manager says, I don't know. And the owner says, go to Bill and ask some questions. So the guy goes to Bill and he says, Bill, uh, you've been coming in late. Why? He says, well, I have to ride the bus to work. And the earliest bus that I can get that gets here." doesn't get me here till about 15 to 20 minutes after I'm supposed to start. And the guy says, why are you riding a bus? Bill says, I don't have a car. So the manager asks another question. Why don't you have a car? Bill says, it was stolen. The manager says, well, don't you have insurance? He says, yes, but it's my brother who stole it, and I don't want to press charges against him. The manager says, well, would you like to get to work on time? Bill says, well, of course. I love my job. I love the people here. I love what I do. I don't want to lose my job. Manager says, well, I have to talk to the boss. I I don't see any solution here. So the manager goes to the boss, and he tells him that whole situation. He says, boss, I think we're going to have to fire him. I don't know what to do. And the owner says, change his start time. Make it 30 minutes later. See, the situation can seem hopeless to some of us, but when we keep asking questions, we find out that the boss, and it's not that God bosses us around, but I'm going to use that just this illustration, he always has a solution. He always knows what's going on. Now, here's the line of questioning that Papa asked me just this week. Remember, the answer is always several questions deep. Papa said to me, Paul, What are people afraid of today? 
And said, well, they're afraid of getting sick. They're afraid of losing their income. Then what, Paul? I got to thinking and I thought, well, I think really their deepest fear is of dying. It's probably the fear of death. Paul, why are people afraid of dying? Well, it's, it's because they're afraid of what happens then. It's sort of like they believe in the elevator gospel. A lot of people do. Like they see this elevator in front of them, and if they think if they messed up enough when they die, they're going to get on the elevator and it's going to go down to a not good place. But, you know, if, if they're, and they're afraid of that, that, that no matter what they've done, they might have done something that they didn't realize, whatever. So they're afraid of punishment. And Papa said, well, why would people be afraid of punishment? I said, well, because they believe they've offended you. Uh, They've made you mad. They've broken your rules. Papa said, Paul, (laughs) you know that they haven't. I said, yeah, I know that. Papa said, Paul, what's the word for what they think they've done or not done? Well, it's sin, of course. What is sin? Now, that's a several question deep way to go. That's what Papa was really getting at. And Papa said to me, Paul, what if people have been totally wrong about what sin is, and totally wrong about how I see sin, and totally wrong about the ultimate result of sin? Well, (laughs) we'd want to know that, wouldn't we? Normally, when our group meets here in Lawrence, Kansas, a couple of times a week, I will ask questions like that, and then I'll say, tell me, what, what's your definition of sin? And most of the time, I'll say, now, look, I don't, I don't have an agenda here. I don't have a right or wrong answer. Just give me your thoughts, and we're going to talk through this. But with sin, though, I believe there definitely is a right answer, and it affects pretty much everything. What if we have been totally wrong about sin? I mean, that would make a huge difference in how we live, in what we believe about dying, death, the life after. I mean, that is a super important question, isn't it? I'm seeing that even people who've been immersed in the grace, unconditional love, finished work of Jesus, inclusion, revelation, can still be drawn back into fear. Fear about whether or not their sin has really been taken care of. The enemy continually tries to get us to slip back into our old mindset. And of all things the enemy wants us to fear is a sin consciousness. And what the enemy does, however you view the enemy, the enemy will shame us into feeling bad about what we've done and then thinking, I'm going to get punished for that. Now, I hear and see people saying, well, you know, I know God loves me and all of that, but I still have this nagging feeling about this really bad sin I did. It could have been anything, different things to different people. It could have been a divorce, a felony conviction, uh, an addiction, uh, abortion, an affair, cheating somebody in business, or those sins that nobody else but you and God know about. Many people have a fear about dying because they revert back to thinking, maybe God's unconditional love and grace doesn't cover that. What if it doesn't? Well, let's look at some scripture here. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews ten fourteen says, By Jesus' one perfect sacrifice, he made us perfect, holy, and complete for all time. Wow. 
Look at what Paul writes to the church in Colossae in Colossians 2, 13 and 14. He says, the realm of death, it's in quotes, describes our former state, for we were held in sin's grasp. But now we've been resurrected out of that, quote, realm of death, unquote, never to return, for we are forever alive and forgiven of all our sins. And you know by now in Scripture, all means all. If somebody, some religious person says, oh, no, all just means some of all, don't hit them or anything, just (laughs) don't go there because it's not true. All means all. Verse 14. God canceled out every legal violation we had on our record and the old arrest warrant that stood to indict us. That was the law of the Old Testament. He erased it all, our sins and our stained soul. He deleted it all, and it cannot be retrieved. That's the Passion Translation. All our sins have been forgiven, deleted, and cannot be retrieved. Now, that's a declaration of what happened already at the cross and is true. It's not an invitation of something potential. It's not like, well, Jesus did that. Now, this is your invitation to pray the prayer in the right way and make him Lord of your life and ask him to come into your heart. And and then if you do those things, then this will be true for you. No, it's not an invitation at all. It's a declaration. This It's a proclamation. This is what's true for you and for all people. So now I'm going to build a case for this now, but I just want you to see, we have been made perfect and complete for all time. We have been forgiven all our sins, and they have all been deleted. So if that's the truth, and it is about sin, what is there to worry about? I'll wait. (laughs) There's nothing. Now, I'm not going to go into detail about the Greek words or their etymology. I can do that, but I'm just going to net it out for you today. The Greek word that we, I think, have mistranslated as sin simply means to miss the mark, as when an archer shoots an arrow and it misses and specifically falls short of the target. That's what the word meant when people wrote the New Testament. When In Jesus' day, when they talked about sin— That's the illustration that they use. Now, the New Testament writers wrote about people falling short and missing the mark of knowing the truth about God's character. Specifically, Paul and John wrote about this. People fell short of missing the mark of knowing the truth about God's character, God's unconditional love and grace and mercy and inclusion and acceptance for all people. Paul wrote that Jesus is grace personified, and he is full of grace and truth. When you don't believe that Jesus is grace personified and that he's full of grace and truth and God's love is unconditional and he's included and accepted all people, when you don't believe that, you fall short of, you miss the mark of God's glory. Romans 3, 23 and 24. Here's Romans 3, 23 says this. Paul's writing this. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Most every translation says that. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Well, the actual Greek there, here's what the words say in the Greek. All harmartia, 
glory God. There's not one word in the Greek that means sin and another that means fall short of. There's only the word harmartia, which means falling short of. But see how English translators have said all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God? That's an incorrect translation. It's said in the original text and what the writers believed and what the people of Jesus' day believed, all have fallen short of the glory of God. They've fallen short of that. All missed the mark. All had a wrong understanding of God's glory. Now, the next verse is amazing, Romans 3.24. But God made us all right with him by his grace. Jesus and God, the Father and the Holy Spirit, redeemed us to our right understanding, our right belief. Here's how verse 24 reads. I'll do them together. Romans 3, 23 and 24. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The same all, which means all, are justified or made right freely by God's grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus in his finished work at the cross. All fell short of the glory of God, but all have been made right with God, even though they fell short of the glory of God. All have been made right. Now, what's the glory of God? Moses in the Old Testament asked God, he said, God, show me your glory. I want to see you. I want to see your glory. Show me your glory. God said, all right, I will show you my goodness and my graciousness or my grace. In God's own words, God said, my glory is my goodness and grace. That's what God's glory is. That's what sets the real God apart, among many other things, apart from any other fictitious God that people have ever believed in, Allah or whoever, or even some versions, many versions of the Christian God. God's glory, the only true God, his glory, what sets him apart, which is all important about him, is his grace. That's what God says is his glory. All right, now get this. What sin actually is, and I I don't like using the word sin anymore, but what it actually is, is falling short of believing the truth or hitting the mark about God's goodness and grace, God's unconditional love. Here's what sin actually is. It's falling short or missing the mark of believing what God's goodness and grace and unconditional love really is. That's super important, folks. When you get that, That will make an amazing difference in your life and your relationships, how you see God, how you see yourself, how you see other people. It will also set you free from what you thought sin was. Now, I'm going to tell you what Jesus says about this. This is so important in clarifying it. John 16, 7 to 9, the Passion Translation. Jesus says, here's the truth. Other versions say, truthfully, I say to you, or verily, verily, which means truth. Whenever Jesus said, here's the truth, it's time for us to pay attention, right? 
All right. He said to the disciples, he knew he was going to die the next day. He said, it's to your advantage that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the divine encourager, or sometimes it's translated the counselor or the comforter, or the Greek word is paraclete, which means all those things, which is the Holy Spirit. If I don't go away, the Holy Spirit will not be released to you. But Jesus said, after I depart, I will send him to you. And when he comes, now here's an English translation, he will expose sin Now, we need to know what that means. He will expose the missing the mark or the falling short and prove that the world is wrong about God's righteousness and his judgments. We have been wrong about what sin is because we have been wrong about what God's righteousness and God's judgments are. Then Jesus goes on to define exactly what sin is. I mean, it'd be good to know what Jesus says, right? In verse 9 of John 16 says, the Holy Spirit will expose what sin is. It's because they refuse to believe in who I am. And up until Jesus' time here on earth, ever since Adam and Eve, nobody knew God, Jesus' own words. Nobody believed in who the real God was. Jesus came to reveal the real God to him, and he did that in how he lived and how he taught. He didn't condemn people. He didn't judge people. He didn't do anything. He loved people unconditionally, and he said, that's who the Father is. And the people didn't believe him because they didn't want God to be like that because they wanted God to punish their enemies. They wanted God to get the people who didn't like them, who didn't believe what they believed. Sin is refusing to believe in how good God is. The mirror says it this way. Now, listen up. Jesus talking. Hear me. My departure is not to disadvantage you. Everything that is about to happen brings conclusion and bears together what the prophets pointed to. This will be to your absolute advantage. If I don't go away, your companion cannot come to you. But if I go, and of course he did, he says, I will send you one to be face to face with you, defining your very being. Verse 8, in this capacity of close companionship with you, the Holy Spirit comes to convince the world concerning sin, missing the mark, righteousness, being right with God, and judgment. The Holy Spirit in you, verse 9, will persuade people concerning their sin, which boils down to, and Francois Dutoit, the, the translator of the mirror translations, that it defines it. Sin boils down to a bankrupt, distorted identity. He says the world's unbelief and indifference to Jesus is the very cause of their bankrupt identity. What sin is, I want you to get this, and I want to get it myself because I'm tempted to fall back to to the old definitions that I believe. What sin really is, is not believing the truth about Jesus, Papa and the Holy Spirit, and how good they are, that they are totally good, that there's nothing bad or dark or evil in them at all, that they are pure, unconditional love, 
love with no conditions, no ifs, ands, buts, nothing of that. It's pure love for everyone for all time. The truth is, they love everyone. They've already included everyone. They've already accepted everyone. Everyone is in their family forever. We have never been separated from God. What sin is, is missing the mark of believing that truth about Jesus, who is grace and love himself. And then when we don't believe that, the result is we're spiritually bankrupt. And then, because we don't know what God's truly like, we don't know who we really are, we don't know who other people are, then we will act out in ways that are not consistent with who we really are. We'll lie, cheat, steal, gossip, different things, you know, different people with different degrees of that. Those are actions, those are all results of not believing the truth about Jesus. God doesn't care about your telling a lie or smoking a cigarette or getting drink or any of those things. Now, in a sense, it saddens him when we do those things because it hurts us and it hurts his other children. But it never, ever affects our relationship with him or the fact that we're in his family and we're included forever. It, sin has nothing at all like what we have been taught that it is. Now, I'm going to continue this next week the next lesson, and we're going to expand on this and, and even go deeper into knowing what sin is and what sin's not. So I appreciate you all being with me very much today on this edition of Grace to All with Paul Gray, and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Grace to All. For more about us, how we can serve you, and our special guest, please visit www.gracewithpaulgray.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode and to join our Facebook group, Grace to All, where you'll be inspired and awakened to more truth that you can handle.